My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 159 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Oh, man. we You know, it's funny. We get on a schedule. We're like, yeah, we're crushing it right now. And then it's like the quickest way to make sure that we don't record for a month is to say that we're crushing it right now. I think I think one of the most classic openings in Cinepunk's history is us apologizing for having not recorded. We recorded yeah. quite a bit in August, and basically August ended, and um, you know we had this topic, the topic we're doing tonight. It was it was a loaded. listener. It was a listener provided topic. Yeah, straight up. This is a Patreon thing, and I and I want to put that out there for those of you who would like to have a little more say in the things we cover on Cinepunk's. Yo, join the Patreon. Like, we will take suggestions from Patreon, you know, with some caveats. Like, I'm sure Chris Re- Reject has some ideas that we would just not accept, you know, mm-hmm. unless he's our mm-hmm. guest, you know. Of course, of course. But this was just a, a, a Patreon supporter. So thanks, Josh. Uh, Josh Beninga on Patreon. Uh, good dude. Uh, he requested this uh, double feature that we're doing today, which is we're doing, um, well, you know, his initial request was just Neptune Frost the uh Saul Williams co-directed movie uh but then we we discussed what should go with it and we ended up with brother from another planet so that's our feature today on this episode but what you know we had this locked and loaded probably for 3 weeks of like we were you know in theory ready to go but i just you know i wasn't ready and then Josh had a busy week and i know like to listeners it probably feels like what are you guys doing just record but actually if the stars don't align they don't align so sometimes it's just hard to get it done but we are gonna try our hardest to be regular for the rest of the year we're gonna try i'm gonna make josh commit to one week ahead of time one week ahead of time i'm on it (laughs) i just picked a random time i don't even know if that makes sense i don't know if it makes sense either but you know what none of it makes sense so it all makes sense you know what i'm saying so don't worry about that's fair no that's yeah yeah yeah. we're gonna do this i i I also want to say you know um uh we did get out another lunch with liam for those of you who aren't on the patreon you should go check it out maybe join the patreon we got some low level (laughs) things uh you know i got some good feedback i was a little worried do people like lunch with liam so here's my thing josh We've actually had a couple of people join the Patreon, I think, to check out Lunch with Liam. Really? We've also had a bunch of people leave the Patreon. and After I, they've heard Lunch with Liam? Well, my suspicion is we're more active now, so now they're getting update emails, and then they're realizing, oh, I forgot I was still subscribed to that. I should cancel Whoa. because I don't have money. You know what I mean? Man, and when we, keeping it real goes wrong. Well, we haven't had any like particularly negative feedback, which usually on Patreon people are, you know, willing to say when they're bummed on the experience. And we haven't gotten any of that. But I was feeling a little insecure. So when I put out lunch with Liam, I was like, my notes for the episode were, is this cool? Do you guys like this? <laughs> like, if, if you don't like it, just let me know. And I got a lot of positive feedback. I will say, friend of the show, Mike Cavalieri specifically said we should talk about food more. He likes it when we talk about food, which is so funny because we are recording on a Tuesday night. Uh, partly because I was exhausted after the weekend, which we'll talk about in Whacking on Track, and partly, and I think you'll probably maybe talk about this in Whacking on Track too, because you went and you went to the place. You I went did to, to Jollibee's. Is that it? I did go to the Jollibee's. Yes. yes, I did. It's true. We have a lot to talk about. Josh, <laughs> I saw I saw your pictures. I got so jealous, and I thought, "Fuck, when is Chicago going to get a Jollibee?" So I went on and I looked at 
Jollibee's. And there's four in Chicago. I could go anytime. <laughs> They've been open for years. I just didn't know. So right. like, here you are questing. I saw the opening day video. People were lined up for hours on that. I'm like Dude. looking at them lined up thinking, oh man, when do I get to try this? Shit's been here. If I just fucking look, if I'd opened Google, I'd know and I'd already have had Jollibee's. I'm such a fucking idiot. It's 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 a journey. It's a journey. But we'll <laughs> get good, to that. Oh, you're gonna t- we'll, we'll we'll get. There. Oh, it's part of the whacking on tracks. Of course, of course, of as course. it would be, as it should be. Yes. Regardless, uh, I do want to thank people. I did get positive feedback about uh, lunch with Liam. If you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. Let us know what you think. I'm going to specifically call out our man Chris Reject because I don't know if he has listened to it, and he is a Patreon supporter. So you have access, sir. Check out lunch with Liam. <laughs> I think you'll like it. Okay, uh, well, let's let's just get into our thank you set. Of course, thank you to everybody on Patreon. But speaking of Chris Reject, who else do we need to thank, uh, Josh? We need to thank our dear friends at Essex Coffee Roasters. <laughs> um, our friend Aaron has been working diligently to dispel the bourgeois nature of high-end coffee appreciation. And uh, I think he's pretty successful, Liam. I got to say, my man makes some delightful coffee. And uh, he's a hell of a character. Love him to death. So if you uh, check out at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, put in Cinepunks at the end, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, you get 10% off of your entire order, my friends. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so we're going to talk later about this uh, convention that I went to uh, and, and, and what it was like, whatever. But I will say one thing. People who got what we were doing and were into the shirts were pretty impressed at the screen printing job. Um, and they could tell that they were screen printed, but they felt like the quality was a higher quality than they were used to. What? And, and a lot of people really were like, man, I'd much prefer this to that direct to garment bullshit. You know, I need a good old fashioned screen printer, you know? Mm. And I just, I kept singing the praises of Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. And I will sing them to you now. Our stuff is good because of that. And in fact, recently we had something that they contracted out to somebody else and it came back and it, it wasn't quite what we wanted and they refunded us some money. So like Chris is the best. LVAC is the best. Go to xlvacx.com and, you know, see what they can print for you. See if, yeah. you know, it's time and to tell get those- them Cinepunk sent you. They will yeah. add 10% to your cost. <laughs> get them get them to screen print you know get some long sleeves get a hoodie it's that get time some of year. uh you know custom underpants underpainting an, an embroidered dad hat you know embroidered make it yeah dad hat five panel you know what i'm saying yeah it's the good stuff man it's a good know, stuff i don't know if i like the five i don't know which one is the five panel. i don't know it's the one that goes under your bicycle helmet oh yeah no i don't do that but uh, i do those the, my, you know. my head is too big for that it doesn't work for me I have I a very it, large man. head. I have, I a, get I have it. a huge head. Okay. Of course, finally, <laughs> we want to thank our friend Sharky over at mechanicalsharkmedia.com. Whatever your media needs are. Hey, you, you got a video. You're making a video or you're doing some audio editing or uh, maybe you've got, you, you've got uh, some special effects needs. You're doing a live production and you want puppets, whatever it is. They puppets. got you over there. They're making a studio space. It's so cool. They're going to do green screen stuff and weird things, I'm sure. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's going to be crazy. Absolutely. So big up to Sharky and Amanda, uh, Mechanical Shark Media, Bigger Boat Studios. Uh, check them out and go to them with all of your media needs. All of your media needs. I love the, the constant uh, 
Jaws references to all of his things. It makes me very so happy. good. Yeah, it's, it's I, so great. It's funny because I think that um, you've had some not great things to say about Steven Spielberg on this very show. I it's true, but I did just Mel- Melani and I just watched Jaws on three dollar movie day mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. AMC, and we saw it in three D. And guess what? Didn't hate the three D. Well, I'm telling you, I I uh. I was going to say, you know, I, I'm i a little less negative on Spielberg than you are, but I'm, I'm also not a super fan. I think there's a lot to be questioned. And notorious <laughs> hater of Spielberg, one Miss Sam Deegan, was just mm. writing on her blog for her Patreon about how despite her hatred for Steven Spielberg, Jaws is a fucking perfect movie. It's a perfect fucking movie. It is I, so you can, good. You can hate anything else he's done if you want to. And yeah, I you can hate everything you. else that he's done, and that's fine. You know, he's like one of those directors, like Martin Scorsese, where you could say he's the best director, and you'd be correct, or you could say he's the worst director, and you also would be correct. It all depends on how you want to follow it up. I will say that um, later on the episode, Josh is going to talk about that new movie, Pearl, right? Yeah. And funny you bring up Scorsese. He was just quoted today as saying, he found it very disturbing, and he's had trouble sleeping since seeing it. Oh, it's so good. It's and what so I, good. What I love about that is it reminded me of a story that friend of the show Pat Healy tells, that uh, Scorsese got him for a smaller part in one of his more recent movies because he thought The Innkeepers was one of the best horror movies he'd ever seen. And I'm like, man, Scorsese really likes indie horror. I just didn't Or know. maybe Scorsese just likes Ty West. Sure, sure, sure. Of former course. bandmate of Cross Keys bass player Andrew Welbrock, oh, Mr. Ty they, West. What were, what were they in together? It was a ska band, <laughs> and it also featured a friend of the show, Brandon Wallace's wife, Mary Wallace, who played trumpet. Oh, that reminds me. Um, on a recent episode, uh, a former guest on their podcast, Mike Dick, on his podcast, uh, First Seven Inch Club, they covered not work. And they, yep. they they talked about, you know, your bandmate was in that work mm-hmm. and they brought up cross keys and they brought up this very podcast. And he referred to us as listenable, listenable. which uh-huh. for Mike is a very high compliment. <laughs> listenable is all we aim for, <laughs> which thanks to Sharky at Mechanical Shark Media, we mm-hmm, are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something of a listenable show at this point. So, yeah, we know what we're talking about, y'all. Mike Dick said so. So, <laughs> holla at you boys. That, that was actually a fun episode because I do think of Not Work as that, especially that uh, seven inch, as like a, a, a slice in time of, of, of a certain of kind Philadelphia. of Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. And Philadelphia that like just doesn't really exist anymore. It's like not even really a thing anymore, you know? The funniest and, thing is, I sent that episode to Bo and to Andrew. Just because you know how it is within like within the ranks of any band, there's always going to be like those little like cells, you know what I mean? Of people that you just, I mean, not that you don't love everybody in your band, but it's always like those, just the little text threads of people. Right. And yeah, I sent it yeah. to Andrew and Bo and Bo was like, man, I sound awesome. <laughs> it's so good. It, I so mean, good. He has, but no, but for real though, I mean, first of all, they were like on the episode, very impressed that he's a doctor now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then the, just all the bands he's, Bo has been in a lot of great bands. He has. Yeah. It's really funny. It was also yeah. funny for them to be like, you know, we also have a connection to something else we covered because a member, you know, Bo was in uh, Kill the Man in Questions. And one of the yeah. members of Kill the Man in Questions 
was, was in, in I Hate You. Uh, was in, um, well, they made their connection to Limpress because they covered Limpress on it. Oh, episode. right, right, right. And right. I was like, oh, you just mean Mike McKee, who now works at Broad Street. Like, no. Uh, what's his name was in Limpress? Uh, oh, Andrew I Martini. Mike was in Limpress. No, Mike is just doing Broad Street now, I believe. He's not playing in any bands. But he played on one of the records, I thought. I'm going to no. look it up. I'm going to look it up. He did not. You sh- you're sure about that? 100% sure, yep. It's Andrew Martini who is in Kill the Man and also is in Limprest. God, I was sure. I was sure. It's cool, though, man. It's cool. Yeah. We still love Mike. You know what I'm saying? It's cool. Don't no, worry about I, that. No, you're right. You're totally right. It's no judgment. I just really thought he played on a record. Yeah. I really, you know what it is? It was from a picture. I saw a promo photo, and I, there was someone who looked a lot like him. Well, and to be <laughs> fair, he did play with Limprest at a show yeah. that he went to. But I think I he mean, was just the fill-in guy. Because I'm looking at the recordings, and you're right. He's not on any of these recordings. Yeah. I really thought, because I when they, with the the first time I saw Limpress in Philly, he was playing with them, but he was probably uh, just the fill-in guy. Where'd you see him in Philly for the first time? When was oh, like that at first the ch- show? At the church. Mm. Our, our man Martin had uh, assless chaps on. It was great. and It wasn't when I played with them, was it? No, 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 no. But I did see them when you played with them. That was a right. great night. That was yeah. a great night. No, this was years before that because I remember like I went not knowing what the vibe would be. And there was a, a few very scary uh, skinhead types there. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, I hope these scary skinhead types are not going to cause trouble for limp for, for the limped wrist. And then when limp wrist started, all of those scary skinhead types got nude and moshed nude in the pit. There you go. And I was like, oh. No, in fact, they're here to have fun during Limitless. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, guys, for judging judging a book, judging the by book its uh, cover. by its cover. My bad. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Incredible. my bad. Well, regardless, point is, they made the connection, and it's just, I, I, I said to Mike later about, it was fun listening to the episode, and I was like, whenever you, whenever you cover anything in Philly, I'll have a weird connection. Because when they did I Hate You, I was like, you know, Mike from I Hate You is now with me without you. And I toured with yeah. me without you. And he's like, oh, Jesus, really? And I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> What's funny is that Mike had hit me up and he was like, so this Bo, who is in um, Not Work. He no, was, this, is in- one of, this is one of the rules. They're not allowed to contact anyone who is either in the band or friends with someone in the band unless they're, <laughs> unless they're really stuck. The, the whole part of the exercise is they internet stalk the people to see what they can find oh. via internet stalking. But it's they don't just ask funny anyone. because I offered, I was like, do you want me to put you in touch with Bo? And they're like, no. And yeah. it's like, no, oh, it's, okay. it's really important to them not to talk to the people in the band. It's part of the vibe. But what's funny <laughs> is they find out a lot of stuff, not talking to anyone in the band. And then of course, later they'll be, they'll on another episode. If they got something wrong, they'll be like, Oh, we heard from so-and-so and we were wrong about this. So they'll be do a correction. <laughs> but for the most part, they just try not to ask anyone. It's one of part of that that I think is so fun is they've covered records that they're actually direct friends with people in the band. But they don't <laughs> and they don't talk them. to them no, about it. No, that's hilarious, man. What a show. What a show. Anyways, we, I think we need to wrap this up so that we can move into our featured uh uh our our uh our regular segment yes the name of which i wrote down this time so we would not forget really i can't remember it and i don't take notes liam you should know this about me so it's time for a little feature we like to call a little feature that we've done 158 times known as it's it's globally respected and locally invested upon 
Whack it on track. Whack and on Trizak. Yep. That's what it is. So, Liam, what have you done recently that is whack? And what have you done recently that is on track? Well, we sort of mentioned that we we're going to talk about it. So let's jump into it. Uh, 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 I went talking? to Jollibee's. Yep. That's oh, what mother, happened. You motherfucker. Oh, no, is that I what was, you were not talking no, about? I was going to go to Barbarian. Let me. Okay. I talked about this a little bit on Lunch with Liam, but I know not everyone's on the Patreon. So I'll give <laughs> a, a quick thing of it, which is basically I went to go see Barbarian partly because I had planned my whole weekend. Maybe not the whole weekend, but a big chunk of my weekend I had planned around going to see Praise, who was on tour with Millspec. Right. And a bunch of local bands, too, on that show. And the venue fell through, and they had to find a new venue, and the new venue they found had another show going on, so they couldn't start their show till 11 p.m. And what was supposed to be six bands became four bands. And they were like, come to the show. It's going to end at one. Don't be a wuss. And I'm like, nah, bro. Like, what? it's just not a thing for me. I can't, I can't go. To, it's just not real. So I didn't go, and I was feeling super bummed about it. Now, I was going to go with a friend of the show, uh, Nick uh, from Numerality Zine, Nick Acosta. And uh, uh, Nick is great. I love him. Uh, he also was not trying to go to an 11 o'clock show. And he was even more bummed than I am because he's friends with the guys in Millspec and yeah, one of the bands on his label opened the show in still. And so he was just like, really wanted to go. So we met up for coffee instead. And when we were done having coffee in Lagrange, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go see Barbarian. So I drove out to Hollywood Boulevard Cinema. Uh, it's one of those dine in movie theaters. Uh, and all the theaters are like themed in a way. Like each mm. individual theater has a different theme. And I saw Barbarian. And I got to say, man, fucking loved it. I know. There's a mixed response, uh, and I know a friend of the show, Sharky, hated it. He thought it was real dumb. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, even though he can edit this and make me say whatever he wants and probably <laughs> will put in some sort of fart noise right here, I'm just going to say, I disagree, Sharky. I think it's great. Um, I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was really fucked up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> l- let me say this. I don't think anyone can argue with the first part of the movie being really well done. I think the tension yeah. it builds us really well. It's the, so weirdly built too, yes, just because yes, it, it's yes. impinged upon the awkwardness of Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. And then there's a transition, and there and and new things start to happen that I don't want to spoil for anyone. But the point is, post the transition, there's some discussion about whether the rest of the movie works or not. I think it gets a little slow or predictable for some people. For me. At a base level, if we're going to start with the base level of a movie as being entertaining or not, I was fully entertained for the whole thing. So I guess yeah, I got to start. I was thoroughly there. engrossed from top to bottom. I also think that while it's a bit hand fisted with some of its themes, that didn't bum me out and it worked for me. And I thought that the way that uh, certain characters that are uh, obviously bad, but are mm-hmm. maybe not the the not main, the obviously bad people i think the way that that worked out was very well done as well and i and i appreciate that and that's all i'll say i don't really want to get too much into it other than to say i liked the the character who we stick with for the whole movie i liked very much and i felt like the movie was more about them and uh and i don't want to say too much about the other characters but it, it worked for me thematically as well as finding it just really fun and upsetting I said out loud multiple times, Josh, while I watch this movie, fuck. 
Oh, Jesus. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Oh, no. Fuck. It's been a while since I've been compelled to cover my eyes at a movie, and this made me do that. It was the sort of movie where I went by myself, right? I don't know anyone else in this theater. There's a couple in front of me, right? I'm sure they can hear me going, oh, fuck you. Oh, God. You know, like, just like responding, right? So then after mm-hmm. the movie, I do my beeline to the bathroom. bathroom. You, know, I, you know, I got to pee. You know, I, yeah. I've had to pee this whole time. Uh-huh. I rush over to the bathroom to pee. I'm peeing. I'm done peeing. I go to wash my hands. And I realize that the guy who was near me, who's with, you know, a couple, there were a couple, they're near me. He's in the bathroom too. He gets done peeing. He comes over. He goes, that was, that was quite a movie, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, quite a movie. I was like, yo, that's how crazy this movie is. This motherfucker was willing to talk to another dude in the bathroom about it. Like he was so itching to talk about the movie. He's like, yeah. And I was like, yo man, that shit was fucked. He's like, I couldn't believe half the shit that happened in the movie. And I said, yeah, I don't remember the last time. That's not quite true. Nope was surprising, but yeah, I don't remember the last time a movie surprised me as much as this movie did. Like there were multiple times when I was like, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. Like I just was utterly surprised top to bottom. So yeah, agree. It was, it it threw me for a couple of loops. I was ill prepared for. So uh, (laughs) whack is that, that I missed that prey show. That's a bummer Mm. Uh, on track. I do want to mention this convention that I went to. I went to uh, Crypticon in Minneapolis for rough cut to, to sling some stuff. Part of that is whack in that. I would, I would like some time to go to a convention and feel like everyone is stoked on my stuff. And I walk away with like a bunch of money in my pocket. Now we did, we did okay. Right. And the people who liked what we were doing really liked it. So, and that's sometimes that has to be enough, right? You're not going to win everybody over, but the people who get it, get it. And they're excited. Mm. That should be enough, honestly. But there's a part of me that gets so worn out at, especially when we're at a horror thing at the people who come up, look at the shirts, realize they don't know any of the movies and then walk away. Honestly, kind of annoyed. Like, like I pick these (laughs) movies to fuck with them because they don't know the movies. And I'm just like, maybe this just isn't about you. Like, maybe I just like these movies. Like what the fuck? It's maybe you should watch more movies. I don't know. I I try not to judge people because that'll make it sounds very judgy. If I, if I had to say (laughs) you're judging their taste, you're judging their disdain on the fact that they don't know what you're talking about. Okay. That's what I'm saying though. Right. They're judging first though, because they come (laughs) up and are like, all this is bullshit and walk away. So like, I don't want it to be like, well, you're just not cool enough. Cause I, I think, that's yeah, a, but those are the people you don't want wearing your shirts anyway. I guess I just don't like the vibe. I don't like being the person who is looking at someone and saying, Oh, you, if you were cooler, you'd get it. That's like a really, <laughs> that's such a douchey, very gatekeeper. Yeah. 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 I'm not into that. On the other hand, on the other hand though, you're a retailer at this point. This is no point for dialogue. No, I get it. There's a, I guess my frustration, Josh, is that it's not that people don't know the movies. In fact, there were people who came up who liked the design so much they bought shirts for movies they didn't fucking know. Wow! Like straight up, one guy was like, "Okay, I like this and this, and I like this. Which of these things that I don't know what the fuck they are? You think I should buy the shirt for? Because once I buy the shirt, I will go watch the movie." And, Oof. you know, this guy was like very surface level in his stuff, but he had mentioned a couple of things here and there. And I said, okay, bird with crystal plumage. And he's like, oh, okay. 
He's like, I like other Argento, Argento stuff, but I never got into his early stuff because I just figure his career for me really starts with Suspiria. Suspiria and I was like, yeah. nah, dog. First of all, you got to see Deep Red as well. Yeah. As, as, but I said, you mentioned, there was something else he mentioned that was a Giallo. He's like, yeah, that's the only Giallo I've seen. I was like, well, here's the deal. The Giallo that you saw, which you said you liked, wouldn't fucking exist if it wasn't for Bird with Bristle Plumage because Bird mm. with Bristle Plumage exploded the genre. Like there were Giallo before that movie, but that's really the movie that made it a money-making venture and really mm. caused the explosion of that genre. You got to see it. So he got yeah. the shirt and he liked the shirt too. But uh, the, the point is, it's not that just that they don't know the movies. It's the, the dismissal. It's like, I fail. <laughs> it's, it's not that they came up and they're like, oh, look, it's a bunch of stuff that I don't know. It's just not for me. Because when pe- there were people who had an attitude like that, that seemed very chill people. It's, I really do get people who come up, especially because I, I, I mean, it doesn't help that I was in the corner. When you're in a spot where people are just walking past, they yeah. can casually walk past and you can't get a vibe. Remember, you did the one with me. People are just walking past and it's hard to get a vibe. It's yeah. the people who come up and really carefully look and just don't want to talk to you. And then they're just kind of annoyed and walk away. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, <laughs> I, I, I get like, whatever. I, I, I'm thinking too much about it. There was a part of this thing that sucked for me as someone who can be sensitive to rejection. On the other hand, when people were stoked, they were really fucking stoked. And that was great. And I met some people that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. And we did get the word out to some new folks. So I think overall, it was definitely on track. But a success. There were aspects of it that were a teeny bit, bit whack here and there. So, you know, mixed bag. I wish I had gotten to see more of Minneapolis, quite honestly. But, uh, but the con was still a good time overall. And, you know, I handed out whenever someone seemed to be into something that was cool, I'd also hand them a Cinepunks flyer to try to get them stoked on that on us as well. Nice. Awesome. Uh, as far as other sort of media stuff, I'll just quickly mention um, I've been watching that Welcome to Wrexham show. Uh, uh, for people who don't know, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds uh, bought a soccer team in Wales, uh, in Wrexham, Wales. And uh, the documentary is just about them buying the soccer team and trying to get the team uh, get its shit together. That's what it is. It's a it's a documentary <laughs> show about that. Um, it's probably sounds kind of boring, maybe, but actually, like football in Europe is so emotional, and it's so clear that they are emotionally wrapped up in it. It's a pretty compelling show, and a That's lot awesome. of the show is about how Wrexham is a economically disadvantaged place and that's affected their 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 football team and that rob identifies with that as someone from philadelphia here's the thing josh i knew rob McElhenney was from philly and that's why it's always sunny in philly is set in philly i didn't Mm. know where he was from in philly on the show they go to his house that he grew up in in south philly and my man is from a shit neighborhood my man like wow you know those little south philly houses that are just like two floors and they're so old that even though they have internal plumbing, they still have a outhouse in the back. Yeah. That's where Rob grew up. Wow. They go to his house, which is occupied now by people. And as soon as they go in, I'm like, oh, dirty pugs live here. <laughs> that's hilarious. It was really funny. Wow. Uh, anyways, it, it's, it's, I think it's a fun show. I'm not a big sports guy, but I will say like football is emotional, right? Like every game, mm. it's like, is someone going to score one goal or not? Like, yeah. Oh no, they, sc- they lost at this one too. So, and the way the, the system works in England with these football teams is 
if you win enough, you can go to a bigger league and get more attention and more money. So like, you know, if you're a major league baseball team and you have a bad season, you don't get busted down to a shittier league, but that's how football works. Like if you're a shit team, you get relegated to a shittier league and you can go all the way down. And Wrexham used to be at the top back in the day. And they, they're, they're one of the oldest teams in the, in the, in the nation. And now they're like almost at the bottom. Mm. So it's an interesting, interesting show. And then last, <laughs> uh, we mentioned on lunch with Liam, but I want to bring up too Harley Quinn. This season has been really great. Uh, and I've really enjoyed it. And then also the, uh, great British breakoff started a new season. And that first episode, I'm already sold on one of the characters. Cause he's so cute. Uh, there's the, the, the guy, the guy who wins, he calls his boyfriend and he calls him, he's a, the dude is a, is a, well, I guess this is a spoiler. I shouldn't say he has an accent and he calls mm. his boyfriend and he goes, Hey, hun bun. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he said it, I was like, I love this man. I want him Genius. to win. He's so cute. <laughs> and then he says, <laughs> he says, uh, I got, uh, I got, uh, oh, what is it? I got, uh, star caker on bake week when he meant to say i got star baker on cake week and when nice. he realizes what he said wrong he just starts giggling and then he's on the phone he's doing facetime on his phone you can hear his boyfriend giggling over the phone loud <laughs> enough for them to pick it up on the microphone fucking hilarious it was Genius. so good anyways that's it that's it for me right so for me um whack let me think so last week, Krosky's played our only Philadelphia area show. Oh, how did that go? Well, Wags got COVID. His One of his kids got COVID, so he couldn't play. So, like, day of the show, we had to make an audible where we're either going to cancel or going to play it acoustic. And we went with the acoustic keys. And it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what I, you know, I... It was our only Philadelphia show. I wanted to like blow the place up, you know what I mean? But like we ended up playing much slower because we we're playing acoustic and it was weird. But uh, I mean, people said they liked it and there was a lot of people singing along. So that was kind of cool. So I'm going to put that squarely in the on track pile. Um, I saw Pearl. Melani and I saw a screening of Pearl with friend of the show, Dan Scully and Jenna Quirzy and um, couple other people it was super fun if you liked x pearl is definitely in that you're gonna love pearl it's a prequel um maya goth or mia goth is also the main character pearl who she's in x also but man it's she's it's basically a mia goth performance reel it's a highlight reel because it's her doing all the work and she is crushing it in this movie it's so good um there's like a there, there's like a five minute soliloquy from her at the end that is so intense and so incredible that by the end of it, me and Scully were just sitting there with our mouths open, like, holy shit. And um, yeah, man, between that and Barbarian, I got to say, spooky season's off to a pretty good start, man. I'm into I it. I agree. I agree. Also, the uh, the trailer for the new Hellraiser dropped. Uh, I, yeah. I was very skeptical. Trailer looks pretty sick. That doesn't mean it, it might not get fucked up. As you may remember, I had really mixed feelings on Nighthouse. And yeah. it is the director of Nighthouse. So it's a possible screw up. But if it's as good as the trailer, I'm pretty sold. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Um, also on track, I don't know if you noticed, Liam, but this past Friday was like a watershed day of music release. 
Right. So, so, so walk us through it. Well, we got New Lords by Mind Force. Um, I'm fucking into it. It's it's funny because the last record was called uh, Swinging Swords, Chopping Lords, and now it's New Lords. Pretty good. Pretty good. If you like that crossover hardcore from New York, uh, this is your shit right here. And it's super. It's a great record. I think it's really, really fun. And it's hard. It's heavy. Agreed. And then also, um, listeners of the show know that I'm a huge fan of Suede. And they put out their full-length record this uh, this Friday, and it's called Auto Fiction. Now, it's without the original guitarist, um, Bernard Butler, I think his name is. But um, the rest of the band's there, and it's fucking great. It's so good. If you're a Suede fan, I mean, just listen to the singles that they released prior to the release of this record. It's exactly that. It's what you want if you loved that Manchester sound that I did. You know what I mean? Like that Smiths-influenced... Right. Um, just rock and guitar. It's so good. And then another band called Dear Boy put out a record called Forever Sometimes. And they're also in that vein. Although they're an American band, they have that same vibe of like that British uh, 80s. And it's such, it's them along with Spectres. Those are my two favorite current bands. And uh, this record is breathtaking. I find it to be really, really good. Now, have you checked out the new Beth's record? Oh yeah, I love the best. I've loved the best for a while though. This so, new one is really good. I really, really like it. So great. It's it, and like Jesus Jones put out a new song this weekend. <laughs> like, what is happening? How is all of England doing this thing again that they did thirty years ago? Oh yeah, and there's also a new single from High Viz. Oh yeah, that band is so good. I can't wait for that full length. That record is going to be amazing. I think it's going to be bonkers because all the songs that they've been releasing from like that trauma bond song. Holy shit. It's so good. It's just wonderful. That band is perfect. I love them. So yeah. Oh, so that's and, what uh, I got. Speaking of Nick NMZ, uh, the new X side record is going to be coming out. Oof. Very soon. Can't wait for that thing. Can't wait to hear it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So I think that might be, Oh, I think there's new Jive Bop, too. I did get an announcement today that um, Temporary Residence Records are putting out the entire Falling Forward discography, which uh, I don't know if that's a thing that matters to you, but for me, that is a huge deal because along with, again, bands like Christy Front Drive and bands like Boys Life, Falling Forward was like one of my favorite bands from that era. And Elliot's cool and all that stuff, but it didn't hit the way Falling Forward did. And uh, I'm really so, psyched for that so, to come out. That's so funny because I think historically more people were stoked on Elliot. Like Elliot was a huge deal. Well, yeah, because Elliot came out on Rev. Elliot came out on Rev and Initial, whereas Falling Forward was on that other label. I, they weren't on Temporary Res, but they were on another like indie, la- smaller label anyway. I, so like if if we put Falling Forward in the same camp as like Endpoint, right? And uh, split, split lip, lip. yeah, and that whole era. I think falling forward might be my favorite, but I'm kind of tied between falling forward and split lip. Endpoint, I think, is fine, but I really think falling forward, it, it, those t- falling forward and split lip are my favorite of that yeah. sort of wave of bands, uh, even more than like um, Ashes or the the more female front stuff, you know. Mm, but falling forward, man, I can't wait for that discography to come out. Long awaited, long awaited. 
Yeah, I think I'm stoked on that. Man, now you're reminding me of how much I like that split lip record. Yeah, and, um, dude. It's so good. Yeah. It, and, it, I got to be honest. I actually also like the first Chamberlain EP, but once they got to the full length, I'm fully out. Like, just Yeah, just once we got to the Moon My me. Saddle, I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the Moon My Saddle has one good song on it. But <laughs> yeah, but it just was like Pearl Jam to me. Yeah. And well, actually, I won't I won't even say that because while I don't like Pearl Jam very much, I at least think Pearl Jam is like doing some like it's clear that they're doing what they want to be doing. And yeah. I listen to Chamberlain. I'm like, you guys don't know what the fuck you want to do. Right. It yeah. just sounds like they no, don't if know you listen to do. like the weird EPs thing, they're doing like Operation Ivy covers and stuff. And it's like I get it. But. No, I'm sorry. It's too. It's too much. But I it's do too like that. I think that split lip record is as far from modern hardcore as it could be. Like no one is trying to sound like that. But I think it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. There's at least a few tracks on there that I think are really sick. No, I love split lip though. Yeah. Oh right. yeah. All right. Well, after the break, we're going to discuss two movies. We're going to talk about the brother from another planet, and we're going to talk about Neptune Frost. After the break. Be right back. Nobody knows I'm not alone 
discussing two movies as suggested by Patreon subscriber Josh Spaninga. We're talking about Brother from Another Planet and we're talking about Neptune Frost. Have you seen both these movies before, Liam, or what? Well, no, actually. Um, Neptune Frost, I think, would have been hard uh, to see. Like, I think it it hasn't gotten a huge sort of push. But Mm. Brother from Another Planet, it's one of those movies that I've wanted to see for a while. It's on my to watch list, but mm-hmm. I just never gave it a chance. And I really wish I had because I really like this movie. It's very good. Yeah. 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 It's a wild movie for sure. Especially like, I don't know. It's funny. White director. You know what I mean? 1984 taking people to Harlem. You know, it, it's there's a lot to it. There are many layers to this movie. Many layers. I will say, though, um, we I did discuss this movie, not discuss, but I mentioned this movie uh-huh. recently. Because I think I'm right about this, that one of the people who worked on this movie is, um, oh, I wish I had it in front of me, uh, the gentleman who directed uh, Demon Knight. What is his Oh, name? Uh, yeah, he was, in the, he was in that new Shudder series, 101 Most Scary Movements, Moments in Horror Movies or whatever. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, Ernest Dickerson. So yeah. um, Ernest Dickerson was the... Uh, camera person or the or I say camera person, cinematographer on mm. Death by Temptation and oh. on the special features of Death by Temptation uh, he was interviewed by Lloyd Kaufman of all people <laughs> uh, about it because it turns out Death by Temptation couldn't find distribution anywhere uh, until they got picked up by Troma and so Troma distributed Death by Temptation really? and on the special features Lloyd Kaufman straight up said this is the most artistic movie we ever released and possibly the best movie that we ever did as Troma. Like Death by Temptation or Brother from Another Planet? Death by Temptation. And right. so then Ernest Dickerson was describing his career, and he's like, yeah, the first movie I worked on, I was uh, 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 one of the people who helped shoot Brother from Another Planet. And I was like, what? <sighs> so I just looked it up. He was the main cinematographer. I thought maybe he was the assistant, but he was the cinematographer wow. on this movie. Which is crazy, and it's such right? a good looking movie for like right, yes. being shot in 1984, like and just New York City of the time. Yes, incredible. Yes. It just looks amazing. I that's probably one of the things I love the most about this movie, just the overall aesthetic. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's so beautiful, 
but New York City was beautiful back then. You know what I mean? Like, well, and ugly, but that's the point, right? You get yeah. both of those things. I gotta say, like, for those people, there's probably some people listening who maybe haven't seen it. The movie is, it's a sci-fi political comedy in a sense. Like, yeah, it was it was described as a comedy in some of the things I've read, and it seems still weird to me. To but think it, of this movie no, as a comedy? No, it is a comedy, though, man, because there's slapstick. This is what, actually, this is, uh, well, okay, let's describe the movie first. Basically, yeah. um, a, a, a being shows up that we, as an audience, immediately know is an alien, basically. Yeah. And he is in um, New York. Spaceship of some sort, and yeah, yeah, crashes yeah. in New York. And New York City. Yeah, he's basically in Harlem, and he is sort of wandering around. And he is black, and um, eventually people come to find him who are white. Now it's clear that mm. the it, the images they're projecting. I don't know that that is what they look like. They've sort of adopted a, a look. It feels like, right? yeah. And we get some sign of this where at a certain point his shoes come off, and we see that and he's, he's got these crazy toes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, the point is, he can't talk, right, for whatever reason. And so um, he's sort of wandering around the city. Well, yeah, completely not talking. <laughs> yeah, and, and trying to... <laughs> For the duration of the movie. He says not one word the entire movie. But he does have some interesting alien abilities where he can heal people and he can fix various... Mechanical, mechanical things. Mechanical things. And, uh, and so the, the movie becomes, by him being this fish out of water, trying to understand the city, it becomes... Mm. A, a narrative about the city and really about the black experience more than anyone else in the, in the city. Yeah. And uh, he it explores employment, welfare, drug addiction, crime, yeah. uh, race relations, social and, services, responsibility. Oh, yeah. yeah the, there's so much to it. And so what I was going to say is I wanted to describe the plot first is that this to me is an example about how uh, the reality that you can combine humor politics and even slapstick like there are multiple moments here that you mm. could play like a a three stooges or even like there there are parts where like literally you could have taken out what is a very good soundtrack and just put it like the Yackety Benny sex. Hill yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like that <laughs> and, and even the even some of the more dramatic moments are played for humor like so these two men well they're I guess aliens yeah. are looking for him right and uh and uh, one of the things I love about the movie is it has a real sense of community, right? Like yeah. none of the black folks that he interacts with are necessarily sure about him, but they're mm. all willing to do to go something. to the line for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like maybe they're not willing to go completely out of their way, but they're willing to do something to help him out. But then when the fucking weirdos show up and it's clear that, that, you know, whoever these guys are, they are not on our, they team. are here to cause harm. Yes. Yeah. They just jump in for it. It's just net. We're just going to defend this guy. For fucking what? There's no reason for it. You know what I mean? Like they he hasn't have, said anything to him. Yeah. yeah, but they just go in. And I love that aspect of the movie. Um, but that scene, which is in some sense dramatic, is also ridiculous. Like all yeah, of that doing all the football stuff. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. And, but it's, but there's so it. many things about it that just seem like in that scene in particular when he's throwing the pool cues. Yeah, you're like woof, and then he shows up like at the beginning of the movie missing a foot. You know, like what is even happening? You know what I mean? Like, yep. what's going on? And it it feels very reminiscent of like other black stories that we've seen. 
right? And like that, I it, it, it comes it, to it, mind that that when, might be the point. Well, yeah, when they when they finally, in some sense, catch him and try to take control of him, he is basically their slave. So you realize yes. that this isn't he's not a criminal; he's an escaped slave. And I think in in that sense, his missing foot. I was like, to what extent is this like someone who was on a chain? And then yeah. remove something so that he could get off the chain. It Ray, is very <laughs> much Haley. roots. Yeah. yeah, no, it's very much a slave narrative, and that there are hints of that throughout the movie. But mm-hmm. when they find him and they try to literally control his body, it yeah. becomes really clear that that the, the subtext becomes text in a way, but not in a way that feels ham fisted or and, or even like pandering. It yeah. feels like you have to work for it. Despite it being right there on the screen, almost as plain as the rest of the movie. The movie also, and this connects, I think, to our second movie, but this movie also flirts with uh, abstract, non-narrative things in the sense that there is a point where he is curious about some of the things going on in the neighborhood. and He ends up finding a kid who has done drugs and Uh has died. And he decides he's going to try to, the drugs. Yeah, to try. It's, it looks like it's probably heroin. So he's yeah. going to shoot heroin. And he has a horrible experience. And he runs into of all people, a Rastafarian. Yeah, who then talking breaks, about Babylon. Who breaks down Babylon for him. And it's oh, like. It's so good. It's, it is. Y'all. It's so. And it's. But it's like the language he's using is not. Like a lot of what he's saying is pretty insightful anti-colonial mm. stuff the sort of stuff you could read maybe in a textbook but then mm. it's mixed with poetic language and it, and it really becomes clear one of the things we talked about in seminary was um the idea of rastafarianism as a as a post-colonial religious perspective that it's mm. it is a take it is an idea on spirituality born out of a colonial position in response to that and in and against that, right? In taking mm. power away from that. And at the time, thinking of Rastafarianism as a form of like a liberation theology was like a, a bridge too far for me, you know? Mm. But like watching this, I was really reminded of the truth of that, that there is something about that, that this is about, you know, when they talk about Babylon and they talk about, you know, the, the oppressor and the oppressed and mm. all the stuff he's saying, I'm like, this is very kind of um, a spiritual take on a very real political and economic reality, you yeah. know? And, and I think that's been the appeal uh, of Rastafari. S- well, of certain strands of it. I think also people like weed. I mean, it's the both. Yeah, right? Weed does rule. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's both things, but it's like those, the, the melding of these two things. It's like, we have something real to say about mm. a real position of subservience. I mean, these aren't just colonized people. They're colonized people within the realm of uh, an actual monarchy, which we're all thinking about right now, right? That this shit still exists, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and also within that space, they've created this ideology that's about black dignity and freedom. And liberation, and then also yeah. they smoke weed. It's like the combo of two things that seem very valuable. It's like, <laughs> yes, we're going to, we're going to encourage your humanity, your freedom, your ability to stand up against this, power that has dominated the whole world also we're going to smoke weed and i think those two (laughs) things it's just a killer combination you know yeah no i do know i celebrate 
<laughs> yeah, I know you did. You, you've, you've partaken in the sacrament yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are a couple <laughs> uh, religious texts that I've followed pretty closely. It's cool. Yeah. But that, but that part, it is instructive. It's actually, what I find insightful about that part of the movie, right, is that uh-huh. in a sense, it's actually one of the more pedantic parts of the movie, or not even yeah. necessarily pedantic, but didactic, because it's a yeah. part where that we're having more of the perspective of the filmmaker put before us, but because it's presented in a way that makes sense in the narrative, but is also weirdly almost surreal. It's almost a surreal moment that like such a surreal moment when he's just walking with the Rastafari guy who's just straight spouting revolutionary poetry. Yeah. It's so weird, but it's so, but I think it's so insightful and it manages to be like, okay, now we can lay out a lot of what this movie is about. But in a context, it doesn't feel like, you know, it's it's equivalent to the part of the horror movie where someone tells you about the MacGuffin you need to kill Freddy. But yeah. like, it's not as clunky as those scenes usually are. Yeah, know? no, it's definitely a lot more streamlined than what you would expect a scene like that to be. I also thought another cool narrative choice was showing us how each of these characters, whether they're very important to the plot or not so important to the plot. Mm. seeing how they respond to what we're eventually seen as like slave catchers, you know, these, these other beings, we learn a lot about the culture by seeing how each individual responds to them and their Mm. awkward, you know, have you seen this man, you know, but then also the, there's a bit of like a a revenge fantasy when the brother from another planet goes Mm. and murders this white drug dealer who's like dealing drugs out of this like wall street white collar like yeah drug dealer what a weird choice did you think that was a strange choice because i definitely felt jarred when that scene happened no i didn't feel that at all i mean i it would that felt in line with the vibe of the movie which is uh you know i think at a certain point We've all gotten used to the idea that behind every street drug dealer is just like a mean Latinx person, you know, like someone from South America. (laughs) But like, I think in the 80s, it was much more common to imagine someone white. And in this Mm. case, making it a business person is probably even less direct than what people would have wanted, which is someone working for the CIA. Right. And, And by the way. Not entirely inaccurate, actually. <laughs> I mean, this is part of the thing with this is that, like, um, it's a choice, certainly, especially the idea that we need a scene of him murdering this guy, basically. <laughs> but, like, also, it shows the the more of the um, moral fiber of our character. Like, he's going to make it not just because he's kind, but because mm. he has a sense of justice, right? And yeah. that he sees in this addiction a similar situation to whatever he was facing Mm. on his own planet. And so, you know, the whole movie is the, is the funniest, coolest version of a fucking morality play that you could have. Cause that's really what it is. It's a morality play. It's just not the sort of morality that we usually get in a morality play, but that's, that's really what it is, but it works, right? It's funny. Mm. It's, it's interesting. It has a f- kind of epic climax to it and all with like what feels like a shoestring budget. Yeah. And it's the guy from Terminator 2. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I didn't even realize it till the end of the movie. I was like, wait a minute, what? And then I looked it up. I like, love that you didn't realize that too. No, so yeah, funny. yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was just way into this movie, and I really loved... I mean, there's so many ridiculous things about this movie to love, right? Like, yeah, totally. I mean, there's, the, there's a couple of char- there's a couple of actors in here that people will recognize from other things that I think are really fun. That's mm-hmm. part of it, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Steve James, who plays Odell, the bartender. Yeah, it's like, what's up, American Ninja? Karate his ass. You know what I'm saying? Like that was that was what I was thinking while he was fighting the white guys in black. It's like, do the karate. We know you can do it. Just yeah. Saying. Well, also, I would say Leonard Jackson, who plays Smokey, people will recognize from other stuff. You know, yeah. he's in Ganja and Hess. He's in The Color Purple. He's in Boomerang. You know what I mean? So um, good. But there was another actor. The one the one man in in black, the one white guy. Uh, yes. What's his name? Strathern? Strathern? Yeah. Um, let, me, let me see. Oh, also... Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is in this in an uncredited role. No shit. Where's yeah, Giancarlo he's Esposito? He's one of the people being arrested. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. I didn't even notice. I didn't that's either. Funny. I just saw that. I was looking for someone else. Oh, David Straight Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, I was looking for someone else's name, and I was like, oh, Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> uh, oh, right. Bill Cobbs is in this, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, I recognize Daryl Edwards from some other. But I'm looking. John Carlos Esposito, man, in New York City in the 80s. Amazing. <laughs> there was someone else I recognized, and now I can't find him. So I apologize, y'all. I was like, what is, who's that? I should have looked it up while I was watching it. I forgot. Oh, well. Anyways. um. Yeah, so I don't, you know, maybe this is something that everyone has seen, you know, mm. uh, but I think it, it, uh, it's worth being brought up again because I 100%. feel as though it's not a movie that's so ubiquitous that you could just throw it out there and like young kids would know about it. You know well, what I mean? And, like, and, and let me say, like with Neptune Frost, right? We're going to get into that in a bit here. Um, Neptune Frost is a unique Afrofuturist sci fi almost non-narrative movie yeah with musical elements so when you're thinking what should i pair neptune frost with that would work there's mm. actually I don't, turns out not a ton of other options you know i think after we chose this movie there were a couple others that occurred to me that if i thought about yeah. it, i might have suggested but i think overall this one works right it's mm. not quite afrofuturist but it is black sci-fi to a certain yeah. extent and it does deal with the American version of a lot of the issues that Neptune Frost ends up dealing with as well. Just Mm. Neptune Frost is more focused on an actual African experience, but a lot of the same things are at play. I would have put, I would have paired Neptune Frost with uh, until the light takes us the uh, Rob Aubrey Lowe movie where he joins the black metal band and is part of uh, the weird collective. It's also, have you seen this movie? I, I thought until the light takes us was the documentary. Oh wait, no! What? It's the black metal movie where Rob Lowe joins the hippie community and is in a black metal band. I have not seen that. Oh, it's it's maybe it's not called Until the Light Takes Us. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. It it's a it's another movie that's very loosely a narrative. And um, hold on, Rob. A 
yeah it, it's like it's a it's a really weird um it's a really good movie but um it's also just like very loose you know and very like strange and um hold on let me see if I find it. who's who's in it uh he's he performs as a one-man am- ambient ambient performer named lichens Okay. And uh, he was in like the first time I saw him was he opened for Johan Johansson at the St. Mary's Church in West Philadelphia. And he used to be roommates with uh, one of my former bandmates, Matt Smith, who played bass in Halo of Snakes. And he's like, oh, yeah, I want you to meet my friend Rob. And his name is Rob Lowe, which, of course, I'm going to think is funny. And then uh, turns out he's like this multi-instrumentalist, like musical genius person. Hold on. Let me see. So yeah, Robert Aki Aubrey Lowe. He was he did the soundtrack for Candyman, but uh he also he he was in a movie that was called hold on, let me find it. A spell to ward off the darkness. Yeah, that's it. A spell to ward off the darkness. That's the name you of the movie. You know what? I think I watched this. I believe you did. I thought you saw it with me. I don't think I saw it with you, but I did see this. I wish I could find pictures because it sounds very it's cool. really weird because the community that he joins and is like um Swedish or some crazy shit. And so they're not speaking in English. And um and like you don't really hear anyone talking, but you hear the din of conversation, and it's not like actual like it's part of the story, but not really part of the story kind, you know? Does that make any sense? Probably not. I'm okay with it. But um yeah. interesting. Yeah, this looks really interesting. I'm seeing really positive reviews. I loved it. It's such a weird movie because it's like not like it's not for the camera style black metal. It's actual like blast beat black metal, you know, and it's it's really it's interesting. So I he was in another movie that I uh, if it just. He also did the soundtrack for uh, Candyman, I believe he was also in the movie A Life in Waves. Oh, what's that movie? Uh, it's about the uh, the life and innovations of composer and electronic music pioneer Suzanne Chiani. Chiani? I saw mm. it. I saw that. But yeah, Spell to Ward Off Darkness. I really feel like I also saw this, but mm. I, there's no pictures on Letterbox, so I don't. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Hmm. It sounds very familiar, though. Anyways, okay. We're down a lot of different rabbit holes here. Let's let's backtrack and just say, um, if this movie sounds at all interesting for you, I think you should see it. It's, yeah. It's not. I it's, think it's deserving of a re-release. I think. It's, I, I think so, too. Would be an amazing movie to see in, like, a 4K restoration of some sort, yeah. you know? I, I like I like all the New York stuff. I like the perform. You know, it's hard to carry a movie when you don't talk the whole movie, but he pulls yeah. it off. Um, and it's a real picture of life in this neighborhood that may be maybe a bit too caricature for some people, but it I, it really worked for me. Yeah, I thought it was very. I mean, again, it's such an interesting time capsule of a movie, right? You know, without being pandering or without feeling uh, false. Yeah. So. Well, Let's uh let's transition then to our other movie, Neptune Frost, because I feel like we're either gonna have a ton to say about Neptune Frost or not a ton to say about <laughs> Neptune Frost. <laughs> Neptune Frost is such an interesting movie. 
It, so, I took it the way that I take most Jodorowsky movies. In it's a it's a movie to experience. It's not really. I mean, there's a narrative for sure, and there's like a lot that's being said in this movie. But it's so difficult for me to follow that, like, there comes to a point where I'm just like, well, okay, this is just kind of like. I mean, what you had to watch it twice. You watched it with the with the. The commentary. The commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did was, that improve the experience? For you? A lot, a lot. It really did. Which is maybe, maybe that sounds like a criticism of the movie to be like, I needed the fucking director to explain it to me. Uh, well, let's okay. Let's let's back. Let's a start bit. with what the, is it about? Give so me Nep- give me Nep- the narrative run. Neptune Frost is a is a new movie, newish movie. It's from twenty twenty one, but it hasn't had a, a broad release yet. I'm hoping it gets one soon. Uh, and it was co directed by Saul Williams and Anissia Uzema. Um, it's set in Burundi, though I don't think they filmed it in Burundi because I think Burundi's in a bit of a uh, political quagmire. Civil unrest, yeah. yeah, civil unrest. So I don't think they could get in there to do it. Though they did use a lot of actors that were originally from Burundi who probably had experiences of that, you know. So um, I'm just going to read the letterbox, right? All right, go ahead. In the hilltops of Burundi, a group of escaped Coltan miners which I guess is a, a an actual mineral people have to get that we use in our phones, which I didn't know about, mm. form an anti-colonious computer hacker collective from their camp in the otherworldly e-waste dump. They attempt a takeover of the authoritarian regime, exploiting the region's natural resources and its people. When an intersex runaway and an escaped Colton miner find each other through cosmic forces, their connection sparks glitches within the greater divine circuitry. Yeah. I think that description, which probably sounds mildly insane to people, is more direct than the movie ever is about what's happening. Yeah. The movie is 100% obtuse most of the way. I gotta say. Yeah. You know what's funny is um, in someone's review, they referenced the other movie that we were talking about doing, which is the... Uh, the uh, Oh, his name just escaped me. The Philadelphia um, uh, Afrofuturist composer, musician. I don't know. Sun Ra. They they referenced the Sun Ra movie. And I was like, oh, you're right. We could have. That that was the other thing we were talking about. (laughs) We could have done Sun Ra. This is the Sun Ra movie. Uh, For people who don't know Sun Ra and his orchestra. Uh, it, it was, it is, uh, or was, did Sun, is Sun Ra alive? He's still alive, yeah. Yeah, uh, is a performer who, you know, made a movie that is very much like a, uh, you know, I don't know if he would have used the term Afrofuturist at the time. I don't know if that was in use, but yeah. I think at this point, his art is very, considered very Afrofuturist, and that movie is as well. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the movie is not narratively direct, and it kind of jumps around in time a teeny bit, but it's also, even though it's not narratively direct because there's a lot of things that you're just supposed to pick up on, like abstract costuming, yeah, interesting things going on where they find, uh, when they find the, the digitalis place where they all are, like you're mm-hmm. just supposed to accept that this is some sort of space like out of time. Like weird space utopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like a lot of things aren't directly explained. But what's funny is, Watching it with the commentary helped me to some extent. So, for example, uh, there is a character who we meet when they are uh, performing masculinity, 
and it mm-hmm. is a one actor, and then they decide to perform femininity, uh, and it is a different actor, right? Right. And um, and the only reason we know that there's some more complicated thing going on is because of how they relate to some other characters in the film. And there's some, uh, there's a little bit. It's not very, it's not very dramatic, but there mm-hmm. is a bit of exploration of like <clears throat> gender trauma because uh, uh, they have a have a very uncomfortable, uh, uh, and that's the character Neptune has an mm-hmm. uncomfortable interaction with a character who basically tries to come on to them and then is not happy with what they find basically. Right. And it's uh and it's a, it's like when we see that this is a movie that is playing with gender and sexuality as much as it is colonialism, with futurism, yeah, and colonialism, all, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, it also has musical interludes, you know, there oh, are, yeah. there are parts where There's large... m- music is a very huge character in this movie. Yeah. And, but and this movie, I wouldn't call a musical though. No. And it's very poetic. There's a lot of points where, you just have to listen to the poetry of what's happening and get a vibe for what's going on. And while the commentary helps explain some of their thinking about why they did stuff, it doesn't say like, I, I think the idea that there is a, uh, I think your comparison to a Jodorowsky film is fair. Not yeah. that this is as complicated as the Holy mountain. This is not the Holy mountain. No, it's not the Holy mountain, but, but it, it, it is true. Calls you just on have the to same experience. muscles. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to experience it. You just have to let it wash over you and feel like, let yourself feel what you're feeling. Let yourself explore yeah. what it's bringing out of you. And I, and I think the only part that was hard for me is understanding the tra- transition of the Neptune character. And I wonder if part of that was I watched the movie in chunks. Mm. So the big difference between when I watched it the first time and when I watched it the second time when I watched it the first time, because of just how my life is, I was only watching <laughs> it in 10 to 15 minute chunks, right? right? So I was having trouble making all the connections I needed to. When I rewatched it with the commentary, I watched it in one sitting. And I Ooh, actually think the go. one sitting helped almost as much as the commentary did. And what the commentary added was more some of the decisions that they made and added more like certain textures to why things happened or, you know, some of the the sequences that happen there's there are parts where characters describe being in protests student protests and being cracked down by the government mm. that those sequences were informed by what their actors were telling them about their own experiences you know wow. and that even finding the talent for this movie they found local artists right mm. who helped make the sets and the costumes who then knew people new friends you know they mm. knew a singer or they knew someone who was a rapper or they knew someone who was a poet and they just invited them to be in the movie too. So like the whole cast was just folks that they found searching around in the countryside where they were, you know? Um, I think that's, that's so awesome. Really interesting. And yeah. the theme of the mining, I think is really important because this is yet again, one of those places. There's only a few places where the fact that colonialism still is at work in our world today is under the surface. We don't really see it. It's hard to see. But there's a mm. few places where it's really obvious. And one of those is how we are the people who mine the resources that we need for our fucking cell phones, computers, iPads, mm. all that shit. They aren't getting a cut of the Apple money. You know what I mean? Mm. Like yeah. you, you might think, considering how many people in the world need smartphones, apparently, that the people who get the 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 various ingredients we need to make those smartphones run they must be at least 
making a comfortable living. No, yeah. they're not. They're not at all. They're living the, the, the lives of indentured servitude, basically. And that's <laughs> one of the motivations for this movie is like, what does it mean to have a whole future that's really run on the blood, both the blood of the people and the blood of the land who of a bunch of folks that are kept out of that digital future. And then yeah. sort of the, the movie in this Afrofuturist way sort of says, well, the, the internet, this piece of technology that's running our lives only runs because of the people. So what if we made that running of the, the digital thing literal mm-hmm. in connections between people? And when Neptune and, um, oh, uh, what is his name? Matalusa, who they oh, yeah. end up calling Matuzula. him. Oh, right, right, right. Well, in the commentary, they just say Matalusa, oh. which, which that, that's how they pronounce his name is Matalusa, which is so funny because then the people who speak English pronounce it Martyr Loser, which, by the way, <laughs> yeah. Martyr Loser sounds like a really interesting description of Jesus Christ. Just putting that right. out there, y'all. So his name is Martyr Loser King. Which is like he's literally the Christ figure, but yeah, then all the power. Like Martin Luther King, yeah, 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 yeah. So martyr loser king, who is actually Matalusa, who they call king, but he rejects the title. All of his power comes to his relationship to Neptune, who mm. is this like uh, being who, in transitioning into a being more comfortable with their sexuality, is imbued with power that powers all of the devices around them. Mm. Unbelievable. Just an unbelievable. It's just pitch. so much. Yeah. There's so much to consider. Yeah. It's like a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like uh, uh you know, uh uh Matalusa flees his hometown because his mm. brother Techno, who believes is killed, yeah, believes in the glory of this stuff. He Techno mines the coal the 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 coltan because partly because he believes it is a valuable resource of their land, that this thing mm. powers the future, is powered by this rock that they're pulling out of the ground, and he gets murdered by one of the, one of the overseers, basically, of yeah. this mine. By the way, these, <laughs> these mines where people are mining by hand, this isn't a low-budget decision in the movie. I've seen videos, like, there are mines in Africa where the things that are fucking, and not just in Africa, by the way, but one of the places in Africa where they're mining it, it's literally just people with hammers. It's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like this is a real thing. And, and I don't think most humans considering how willing we are to like stop using straws because they hurt fish. It's weird <laughs> how unwilling we are to acknowledge this obvious sort of exploitation of resources. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a lot. Okay. Let's, let's start here. I think this is an Afrofuturist kind of adventure movie. Talk to me a little bit about your experience of it in that sort of narrative. Like, did you feel like it was too abstract for you to follow the narrative and the sort of African-based futurism of it all? Or did you feel still connected to it as a narrative film as well as a as a experience? I definitely felt connected to it as a narrative film, but it was the the modality of the intake, right? Right. That's what the that's where your navigation is. That's where you're going to have problems if you're just looking for a straight, just this is a sci-fi movie. But yeah, I mean, yeah. the the themes of the movie are very like they're very prevalent if in any sci-fi cinema from any right. country, right? Right, like just these concepts of like equity and belonging and autonomy. You know what I mean? Like, well, and there 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 are issues that I think 
lots of people can identify with, but are also specific to Africa, right? Like, yeah, there's the religion aspect, the presence mm. of Christianity and the negative impacts of that, the the violence of oppression and revolutions and counter revolutions and dictators, like all these things going on politically. And then also this confused uh, idea around ideas around gender and queerness and things like that, like. There are all these things mixed together, you know, yeah. and and even though they keep doing these interesting, you can tell this was partly created by a poet, right? Because yeah. there's this question around minds, what's mine, you know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. And, so and, 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 and this relationship between these people, I, I don't know. I think the names of the people is really interesting. The one pseudo villain of the movie, who's a character that in the only big revolution of the commentary is that, one of the guys in the movie who might be one of the few actual villains we see is a character that they want to explore in a different movie in his former identity. Mm. And that's uh patience. Uh, innocence. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Which by the way, that's what I was going to say. The only character who's clearly has done something regrettable. That might be a bad thing is, is named innocence. innocence. Yeah. So fuck. What? Fuck. It's so it's good. so bizarre. It's so fucking good. Um, and you know the, the fact that they're uh, they, you know when they're visited by this spirit, they're they the two of the characters are visited by the spirit in like a in it, he. It reminded me of the scene in Black Panther when he meets with the with the spirit of the Black Panther of the guy at the tree. Well, he's at yeah. the tree and he meets the you know Bast is there and whatever. It's like yeah. that they're in a spiritual realm and this person tells them they have to hack. You know, you've got to hack into the into the universe or whatever. It's there's just all these ways that like what's happening is technological, but it's also spiritual. And it's also low tech. It's yes. like strangely not tech. Right. While still being part of this tech narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like it's like poetic cyberpunk, you know. I think into- the majority of the poetry in this movie is visual, though. Like, it's agree, such an interestingly palleted movie. Like, the color theory in the whole movie is so beautiful. Right. And just the costuming in the movie is so wonderful. Like, it's it's not even all that ridiculous, really, but it's completely ridiculous. Like, when they start talking about the, the, the wheel in the sky, like Ezekiel and all that stuff, and then the one character has the halo made out of, like, the rotating circles. Mm-hmm. Ah, my goodness. What an amazing invention. What a wonderful-looking creation. You know what I mean? Like, it looks so awesome. I think it's worth noting, too, like, they built all this stuff. It took them forever. They had to build tracks for the camera in the jungle where they were. Like this is this is not just a visual feast. It's also like a engineering feast. Like how did yeah. they build this shit? And like the actors helped build the shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the yeah, crew yeah. and the actors are the same people. You know? Yeah. And it's so good. I just think like you know, as someone who loves poetry too, I know that there's something at stake here because. There's a language barrier, you know, like Saul. But there's so many languages in this movie as well. Um, Yes, it's such an interesting collage. But the idea that the idea that Saul Williams had to do translation work with local people so that his ideas would get through, and then also manage ways to figure out puns and stuff. Like, like the one thing, the other thing I got from the commentary is the idea that there's probably some puns in the names in the languages that people are speaking that I'm not getting right. 
I mean, it took me a bit to even figure out the the martyr loser king thing. I was like, oh, okay. Like I you didn't it. just hear that? You didn't hear Martin no, Luther took King? Me, it took me a second. It took me a second. To, I mean, you know, here's Matalusa. And also the idea. So one of the things that did come across more is there's a lot of visual work that's done that's part of the storytelling. So there are certain camera angles where you are supposed to discern. And I don't know that I did right away that they are being spied upon. That sometimes the view of you as the watcher of the movie is mm-hmm. the view of the drone or of the spy camera of the people. There's a moment where um, Neptune and Matalusa are connecting emotionally and mm-hmm. then they hug. And then Neptune looks directly at the camera and flips the bird. And I thought yeah. that's a weird choice. And then in the commentary, they're like, okay, so by the angle of this, you're supposed to get the feeling that they're being spied upon through one of the screens that the very screens that empower their movement are also how the authority spies upon them. Cause that's what the internet is. The yeah. internet is your greatest tool and your and greatest, your greatest weakness at, yeah. this, at the same time. And so when she flips them off, the reason they go to this digital thing, it's like her finger is being spread throughout the internet. Right. It's like, it's like she's infecting the internet with her rebellion in that moment. And I was like, Whoa. Oh shit. And, and so I, I don't know how to interpret some of that in the sense of if some of those things weren't obvious to me, the first time I watched it, does that make the movie bad? Or is it just a movie that you could watch multiple times and figure out certain things? It and definitely is a multiple watcher. I for think sure. that's right. Right. Like it's yeah. not, it's not that the movie, it doesn't work. It's no. that you need a few times to really figure out what's it's going on. For sure. A movie that reveals itself, the further into the mythos you bury yourself. Right. Right. And with that burial is discovery. Right. And like, it definitely seems like there's so many varied themes in this movie that you have to be immersed in order to make any sense of it. And that's the same way I take Jodorowsky movies, right? Like if you're going to a Jodorowsky movie, if you're going to watch Fando and Lisa, if you're going to watch El Topo and you're looking for this like salient line, uh, a pizza pong where at the coon is another director that does the same thing. Uh, in as much as these, these movies are experiential, Mm -hmm. like, categorically you know what i mean like that's the that's the genre under which these movies are made now whether or not it's skillful filmmaking or hackneyed filmmaking i can't tell you all i I can say i think i I can i think it's skillful i think i i mean i think you could i think for some viewers they're going to feel like not everything works and i and i think the fact that not everything works might be a ding on some of the skill but at least you can't argue that it doesn't look beautiful. Like yeah, it's and you shot can't, unbelievable. You also can't argue that there isn't uh, intentional vision with these movies. Right. And that's the thing. As loose as the interpretation can be, the intent is obviously there. Whether or not you can hone in on what that attempt is trying to tell you, that's on you as the viewer. And that's what I like about these movies, that yep. they don't just give it to you. Because if it was just a silver plate with like everything on it, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, what's the point of watching Neptune Frost if they're just going to essay everything for you? And I think that the connection is the story, right? The connection of the digital age and this, like, um, futurist slash primitivist approach to it, right? Like, that is the infinite capacity of the viewer to interpret. Well, and that's I think what, this is. I think one of the things about this too that's interesting for me is, 
it's one of the most artistic and abstract explorations of the internet and yeah. how the internet connects us. Cause it's the movie in a lot of ways, isn't about the internet. Right. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways it is too, you know? Yeah. And I, I think there's just something about that and the ways that it sort of expresses the power of the two thirds world or the colonized mm-hmm. world, however you want to imagine it, it's focused in Africa. Right. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of what's going on in this movie could apply to other parts of the world too that are still being exploited without really benefiting in any particular way from it. Yeah. And and I think we've mentioned a few times, but I want to reiterate too, the music is also good in this. It's not a musical, but no. the musical bits are fucking great. They're like, so very cool. well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also like it's an exploration of these whole interconnected personalities yes. using the internet as that metaphor. So well, yeah, at, at one point, the one character named Memory says the ultimate technology is humanity, right? Yeah. Like, if technology really is an extension of who we are, then there must be something about who we are that explains all of this, you know. Technology, yeah. Yeah, all this almost magical stuff we've come up with. It's so good. Yeah. This I, movie I, is stunning, I think. Yeah. I, I think, think to the right viewer... This movie will be everything. Well, and I don't think so. I I think um, our man, you know, uh, he liked it, but I think he also wanted some help figuring it out. I'm not going to try to, I don't know that I can like explain for if people watch it and they don't like it. Right. And they feel frustrated by it. I can't fix that for you in a way. It's going to work for some people. It's not going to work for other people. Some people are going to find it frustrating, but as far as saying like, um, is there a through line here that kind of yeah. makes sense? I think there is, and I think there is still a message in it, which is this question of um, uh, the ways that our, this future that we're walking into, which is, by the way, pretty fucking broken, right? Like I yeah, saw- Yeah, pretty bleak, yeah. I, I saw a tweet today that was like, it was by a, 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 an African, I think it was by an African commenter who said, uh, they they uh, took away our- our our way of life and replaced it with one that has destroyed the world in just under 200 years. Good work. <laughs> and it's like, you know, fair, fair. That's a fair, fair criticism. Yeah, it's there. not the worst assessment I've heard. Yeah. It's so pretty insightful. So like, you know, the, the idea though, is that the assumption that like, well, now everyone's in the same boat and like they we're all part of the same sinking ship. I think this is one of those movies that's like, well, not really, right? Like yeah. that there are still these these places where people are are not even experiencing the same present that we are, mm. but are all, all but are experiencing the negative effects of what it took to build this present. And I, and I think the I the I don't want to spoil this. It's a new movie, you know, and I don't want to spoil anything about it. And I think we've said enough stuff sort of abstractly that we haven't really spoiled the plot in any particular way. But Mm. I will say for me, the ending has a message in and of itself that like maybe down the line we can return and discuss that. But I think there's something going on there in a way that like is a commentary about uh, where we're at in the world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. It's so masterfully done. Yeah. Man, Saul Williams, right? I kind of forgot about him for a bit. And I was that, you know, that time, Josh, where 
there was a whole style of poetry which that was just Saul Williams yelling at people. You know, yeah. it was other people trying to be Saul Williams yelling at people. That was a style of poetry that I was so fucking about. Like I yeah. was so about it. And so like the fact that he just disappeared for a while, which he didn't, he was doing shit. I'm sure. But in yeah, my but world, he just re- resurfaces as a director for Afro futurist. Yeah. This thing that he fucking co-wrote and co-directed with, by the way, another like established African cinematographer. Like that's the other thing. Saul Williams should just walk in and go, Hey, I have a vision for Africa. Let me just make this movie on my own. He took what was his vision and then worked with someone else to make it also a reflection of who they are and what they want to do. And then let them shoot it. Like that's huge. That really shows like a collaborative spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And a faith. Yeah. Good point. A faith that I think is really impressive. It's pretty awesome. Honestly. All right, we should wrap up. I don't, I don't want to go on too much more about this, Josh. I hope we covered it enough for you. Oh yeah, um, I feel I feel very uh, I feel very um, seen in terms of my interpretation of this movie because <laughs> I, I had no idea where you were going to go with this, having seen it with the commentary. Also, yeah, no, no, no. So, I, no, I feel like we're both sort of in the same place on it. I just don't know that like we can't get too much more into it without maybe saying something that like ruins. I guess yeah. it wouldn't ruin, but I, I know there are people who don't want to have anything given away from them. So I think, you know, we sort of established what it's about without giving away too many important details. So we're going to wrap it up at that point. But I think this is the sort of movie that, like, maybe in a few years we'll come back to with another yeah. thing and, like, kind of talk about this as a style of filmmaking. Because I hope this isn't the last movie in the modern era that we see that's like this. Because I. I can't think of an, an, another movie I've seen in the last decade that f- made in the last decade that feels like this kind of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's been a while since we've seen a fresh voice like this. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap up that judge. All right. Well, um, thank you for listening to us. And also thank you for, uh, to Josh Spaninga for suggesting this. Like we said, if you want to, if you want to have a say in the kind of stuff that Liam and I talk about, one of the ways to do that is to join the Patreon and, uh, you know, uh, just get it. It just, um, it increases the dialogue while it also gives us a little bit of resource. If you like what you hear, you know what I mean? for us to continue what we're doing, which is expanding and growing the, the network as well as the show. And um, it's, it's awesome. Just cause I mean, Liam and I are not experts, right? We're not, <laughs> there's so much more that we don't know than what we do know. I agree. So, um, so, you know, let's, let's, I, I like indulging in community. I like talking to people about movies that we should be watching and um, yeah. So thank you so much to Josh for that. Um, otherwise episode 159 thank you for listening as always rate review and subscribe because it's the currency that podcasters such as ourselves um, rely upon and we will talk to you next time smoke bomb oh, I was going to say for you <laughs> ah, so right, sick alright later do you like spooky movies hair raising tales insightful criticism judgmental hot takes then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. 
Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.